Hello and welcome back to The Steph Gorton Show. I am here with somebody who is my new favorite author, I would say. I am welcoming to the show Kate Christie. She is a time investment specialist. She's a speaker, a best-selling author of four books, and a sought-after media commentator. I came across Kate through a friend of a friend, Brooke Vilinovich, on social media, and I have been obsessed with her content ever since. She is a leading voice on productivity, goal-setting, and designing your best life. She consults both big and small business, government departments, C-suite executives, and educators on productivity, maximizing individual time spend, and combating organizational drag through smart time investment strategies. Kate, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Steph. I am a big fan of yours as well. So I think we can just have a little bit of mutual admiration today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we can cut that out. We talked. We did that already off, off the air. Um, <laughs> It is so nice to have you here. I originally fell on your website because I was really obsessed with, you know, this idea of time. And I, I read a book that was called, I think it's called 4,000 Weeks. Mm-hmm. And it speaks about the concept of obviously time being, you know, not even real. It's it's created, you know, by us as humans. And I was really into this this concept of time and I fell across your website and I loved your very direct approach to managing time and loving that in your book. Tell me, what does a day in, for anyone who doesn't know you, which is crazy, go and immediately buy her book. But for anyone who doesn't know Kate Christie, who are you and what does a day in your life look like? Okay. So I am, first and foremost, I'm a mum of three incredible now young adults, which is just very hard for me to get my head around. I am a business owner. As you said in my bio, I'm all of those things. Day in my life, look, I would be lying if I haven't spent a lot of my time getting this absolutely perfect. And so I have got it perfect. I wake without an alarm and because I just know what my operating rhythm is. I meet my two beautiful sisters at the beach across the road from my house and we swim every single morning, rain, hail or shine. And then I come home. And I know already what I'm going to do for the day because I've organized it the day before. I do all of my high value, important, impactful, hard thinking, revenue generating tasks between 8.30 and around 12.30, 1 o'clock. And then I have a break for lunch. And then I might do maybe two, three hours of lower value tasks. And then that's it. I'm generally finished by three o'clock. I try and take every Monday and Friday off. Uh, So I'm working three days a week, generating more revenue than I ever have because I've got it completely worked out. And that's my day. That's it. And it sounds amazing. Like (laughs) (laughs) It It sounds like the reason why, because I'm obviously, this is a podcast for entrepreneurs. And so the reason why we all get into business is for that lifestyle, but it wasn't always like that for you, right? Like, and oh. you, know, it's something you had to work on for yourself. Yeah. And it is, you do have to invest time to get your time back. And so it has taken a lot of work and a lot of trial and error. I guess that's my business though, is working out how to do this so I can then share that with my clients and, and say, mm-hmm. here's, hey, here's a solution I've already worked out for you. But no, it wasn't always like that. My background, I was I worked as a lawyer for many years and then I worked as a senior executive in big corporate, worked every hour that God sent and loved it and thrived off it. 
when and sort of in the the period of time my kids call that the olden days <laughs> and then when we clicked over to modern days in the year 2000 I had my first baby and then proceeded really quickly to have two more so I had three babies in three and a half years which was you know entirely my own fault <laughs> um I'm not a mother but I've heard that anything like two under two like three around three like I've heard it's a wild time it's a wild ride. And look, honestly, it doesn't get any less wild because they're, you know, they're 22, 21 and 19 now. And it's just as crazy as it ever was. It's just a, a different type of crazy. But, you know, when you're trying to work in any capacity, be it run your business or work for a corporate or whatever the case may be, you know, life is busy and it's a phenomenal juggle. Then you throw a couple of kids in and the juggle becomes really, really challenging. And so, Ultimately, I opted out of my amazing career because it was too hard to to be a mum and, and run the career. When was the moment that you realised that your process for managing time or potentially trying to have it all wasn't working for you? Yeah, look, that's such a good question, Steph. I think I had a general awareness that it was an incredibly challenging juggle, but I'd sort of been brought up with this philosophy that, you know, you can have it all, you can do it all, that where these incredible women and, you know, you don't have to make choices. And so I, I sort of was firmly entrenched in that philosophy and so I couldn't really understand whilst, what, why the wheels were starting to shake. I can actually pinpoint the day the wheels fell off. <laughs> I was, you know, trying to be the super mom, the super human and, and do it all and be it all and I had this perception that all the others were able to do it so I should also be able to do it and I was going to go to work and I was all dressed up in my beautiful suit and I had my red lipstick on and my high heels and I was going to drop my little boy my eldest at primary school because you know all the other mums could do it Mm. and so I turned up to school and it was cupcake day and all these other parents were standing there with these trays of cupcakes and you know, I missed that memo. I, I didn't have any cupcakes. I had no idea it was cupcake day. And my son was embarrassed and, and crying and hysterical. And, and the teacher was kind of trying to help me out by getting him off me. And, you know, I had his snot from the corner of my shoulder all the way down my arm. And, and these other parents looking at me with a mixture of some were, you know, of pity, some were fairly satisfied that I'd failed in an epic way and you know I fled to the car and I was in tears and and I just felt like such an incredible failure and I I rang my mum and I was saying oh you know this is what I've done and and mum said it's you know it's fine I'll go to the supermarket I'll get some cupcakes I'll take them down to the school and I said well look can you just sort of bang them up a little bit and maybe take a bite make them look like we made them and And, you know, she did all that because she was amazing. And I got to work and I rushed into my first meeting of the day and it was in the boardroom. I was a member of the executive team and I was late and everybody around the table went quiet and, and they looked at me and they looked at their watches and then they just kept on going with the meeting. And I had this profound realization that I was the only member of the executive leadership team that didn't have a full time wife. And I just thought, I can't keep doing this. I'm not being particularly 
successful at anything I'm doing. I I felt like I was failing in my career. I felt like I was certainly failing as a mum. And I really felt that I'd backed myself into a corner where I could either be a great mum or have a great career, but not both. And so I opted out of my career and, you know, because I, I couldn't give the kids back, right? So, um, <laughs> but ultimately what I realized was that, that I'd made the wrong decision because I was really good at what I did and I loved it and I got a lot of my self-worth, you know, and you would know this, Steph, being a a high performer and and having an amazing business and working with a lot of incredibly talented women, we get a lot of validation from what we do and from our success. And so I ripped that away from myself. But what it did give me was the opportunity to really think about my time and to reframe my relationship with time. And I started to realize that if I did things a little bit differently, if I changed my relationship with time, if I changed my perception of what I could and should and did and didn't need to do, that I could actually have all the bits that I wanted. And that's where I then designed my time differently. I set my frameworks up. I started doing this stuff for myself and everything just fell into play from that. And that's what I do now. That's, I guess, my driving passion around this is I want to make sure that no one else particularly no other incredible women feel that they ever have to choose between two things they love for want of time. So that's what I'm driven to do is to make sure that you have all the time you need so you can live your life in all the glorious manifestations that you have. I love that story. And obviously, I've actually been listening to your book on Audible, so I heard it, which was so beautiful because it's it's read by you. And, you know, it was really also that awareness that dropped in when you said that, you know, you were the only person that didn't have a full-time wife and and how different it really is. I think you said it in the book as well. We try to keep up with men, like it's a competition, like, like, you know, and, and yet, you know, the scales really aren't the same. It's not exactly the same because they do have usually somebody at home that supports them with their children and they can get to work on time and don't have to do the school drop-offs and all those sorts of things. And, you know, they've also designed their time that way. They ask for the support they need. They communicate what they need. They Mm -hmm. set themselves up like that. It's not just, yes, society has deemed that, you know, this is the way that things get done or has been up until now, but it is also a, a choice and a communication that they have. And they're they're just better. They're better at the boundaries. Um, we are, and and I think that they've, as you say, it has been designed in such a way that they are able to. You know, the other thing is that it always amazes me how completely comfortable men are with taking time out to do the things that they love without kind of guilt or self reflection, and and yet we don't. And it, you know, it frustrates me. We need to get better at this stuff. Yeah, we really, really do. I actually want to dive into guilt on this podcast because, you know, as a woman who works in business anyway, I I have created, you know, guilt many, many a time in my life, even, you know, just not spending enough time with my family or my friends or not communicating as often as I'd like or any of those things. But I'm so acutely aware that that is massively compounded when you have children. And, you know, I've heard that pretty much since the child is birthed, the mum guilt sets in pretty heavy. And I wanted to touch on guilt because there was a quote in your book by Janine Alice, and I really loved the way, I think it was it was under the guilt section of your book. And she said, I used to be a mother who other women hung out with to make themselves feel good about their parenting, <laughs> but I decided to throw guilt away. It comes down to what's most important for me and my family. If they really want me there, then I'll be there. Can you tell me about how you, as a mother of three boys, how did you navigate guilt? 
Okay, yeah. So, look, I guess I'm still navigating it. And I have to correct you. I've, I've got two boys and a girl, and I only okay. correct you because if my daughter listens to this at some stage, she'll kill me for not mentioning that she <laughs> is in existence. And, and yes, honey, you are my favourite child. Um, but, <laughs> look, guilt is, you, you're right, it, it does kind of come you know, it's almost comes from the moment of conception, right? Because you, you're carrying this baby around and you get guilty about what you eat and what you don't eat. And and it just, you know, as a mum with my eldest is now 22, turning 23, I'm desperately trying to encourage him to move out. Um, and then there's then guilt associated with that. Mm-hmm. So look, the guilt doesn't necessarily go away, but I have really reframed my my. I guess my understanding of it and I've cut myself a lot of slack around it. One of the key things that I've done is that I have worked really hard on recognizing that guilt isn't a fact, it's a feeling. And every time I feel a sense of guilt and I have those feelings of guilt, I have basically, you know, some people call it a brag book. I've got a basically got a book. I call it my, you know, my book of feeling good. And I've got this book which I've designed into four different quadrants and the, the first quadrant is I have a list of all my wins and I add to that kind of daily because we're always going to have wins. The The second quadrant is a list of my IP or my intellectual property. What, what are my God-given talents that I was born with? My third part of the quadrant is my skills. You know, what are my learned skills and what are my experiences? And the fourth part is, well, what are my learnings? You know, where have I maybe stuffed up but I've learned and I won't do it again? And they're the facts. And so I have these huge long lists of all my things that I'm good at or I'm accomplished at or my wins or my learnings. So when I feel those feelings of guilt, I combat them with the facts and I go back and I look at the facts and I realize that I'm actually really good at what I do. I'm a kind, generous person. I'm a really good mum. I give them a lot of myself but not all of myself anymore Mm. And I just have that sort of really sharp conversation with myself that guilt is a feeling. It's not going to serve me well. No one's going to give me a gold star for being the guiltiest. So, you know, I move on from that pretty quickly these days. Yeah, beautiful. And it is it's something that, you know, like all kind of self-development, you never reach a point where it's no longer a problem. There's always different manifestations of exactly. those emotions. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, I love that quadrant book, by the way, and especially I really love the idea of, you know, I think it's something that people don't separate enough out in between is that difference between IP and skills. Yes. Those natural talents and those skills, because there is a big difference. And and I think it's really cool to to acknowledge how both those, you know, play into the success or the life that you're trying to create. Absolutely. Because it's interesting because often we we rate our skills in terms of our learned skills and our experience and you know because that's what your cv is kind of made up of but uh, i think your ip your intellectual property your your god-given talents are much more important than your skills because that's what's going to differentiate you from the next person and and often our ip is is something that we underrate because we are so used to knowing and having and thinking in a particular way that we just assume everybody else has that same IP, but they don't. Mm-hmm. And it's your IP that's going to differentiate you. It's your IP that's going to help you build those amazing, incredible businesses, not your skills. It's your IP that you've got to really, really focus on. Yeah, I 
really massively respect that. I remember when I first got into business and, uh, you know, one of the things that I knew I always wanted to do was to have conversations and to speak to people. But, mm-hmm. you know, how could that possibly be my IP? Because everyone has conversations and everybody speaks <laughs> yeah. to people, you know? And yeah. you, you're right. Like you do think that, you know, you don't realize that even though everybody can converse, not everybody can communicate, not everybody can create conversations that land, not everybody can. Mm-hmm. And so it's about really like digging into, you know, yes, you might be a PT or a time management specialist or whatever, but it's like within that there are skills, like, I don't know exactly what your IP is, but you know, maybe you're just naturally super organized, naturally very data driven, naturally very, you know what I mean? Those things that are exactly. innate to you. Yeah. yeah. That, that's exactly what it is. And, and it's about, understanding, you know, when you have that voice in your head that says, but but can't everyone else do this? The clear answer is no. And if your listeners are kind of searching for, well, what is my IP? A really great place for them to start is what do other people often compliment you on and say, oh my God, you know, you're so good at, and you know, in your case, it might be, you're so good at conversations. I love listening to your podcast. I love how you draw your guests out. And if people are complimenting you on something quite regularly, that is a good indication that that could well be where your IP is resting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I wanted to dive into your philosophy of having it all. There was a quote in your book. And by the way, the book that I'm referring to, guys, just so you know, is called Me First. Because I know that you do have multiple books, but this is the the one that I've been obsessed with and did telling all my clients and all of my team to read. But you said that I don't need to have it all. I just aim to have the bits that are most important to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How have you found that that's worked for you? What does that mean to you? Because I think you know we're sold that idea of having it all. Um, yeah. How do you find the things that are important to you? Yeah, yeah. So it comes down to values. And I don't mean there's two different, really, really different questions when it comes to values. And I think that we're very, very used to the first question, but not the second question. And it's the second one we need to hone in on. So the first question is, you know, what are your values? You do any self-help exercise, you read any book on earth that's to do with self-development, and you're going to know the answer to that question. And it's going to be honesty, integrity, you know, trustworthiness, whatever the case may be. And that's great to know that because our values basically dictate the way we behave. I feel that the better question to ask in terms of knowing where you do and don't want to invest your time, the question you need to ask is, what do you most value? Which really will hone in on, well, where do I actually want to be spending my time? So the questions that I ask my clients to flush this out in terms of what is it that you most value so you know what you do and don't want to spend your time on, there's three questions. The first is that if you were really, really sick, what would you get out of bed for? Mm. The second question is when you're with your besties and the people that just light you up, that you love being with, love spending time with, what is it that you talk about with them? You know, what do you love talking about with your best mates? And the third question is that, you know, think about that person who you really respect and you most respect in your world. If that person was to compliment you, what would you love them to say about you? And so you you write down a whole list of answers to those three questions and you'll have, you know, 5, 10, 20 things under each answer or more. And then go through with a highlighter or a red pen and circle the answers that come up under all three. And that's going to give you a really strong sense of what it is that you most value in your life. And 
When I do this, you know, I've got lots and lots of things, but the three things that come up in answer to all those questions for me, number one, my kids. When I'm really sick, I'll get out of bed for them. The number two is my business. And number three is my health and well-being. So, you know, if I'm sick, I'll get out of bed for my kids, I'll get out of bed for my business, and I'll get out of bed for my health and well-being. When I'm with my besties, we talk about our business and our kids. And we might talk about what we're doing for our health. And my dad is the person I most respect in this world. And and I'd love hearing from him, you know, Kate, you're an amazing mum or you have an amazing business or I love that you've carved out time to go hiking, you know. So I know that they're the three things I value most. And once you know, once you have absolute clarity over what it is that you most value, then you can build your week, your month, your year around just those things. Because everything else just becomes white noise. It becomes secondary. And yeah, look, I'll fit it in if I can, but I'm building my life around my kids, my business, and my health and well-being. And that's it. Yes. Yes. And I have goosebumps because I was nodding so vigorously throughout that. (laughs) I think, you know, when you're able to identify those values and what's really important to you and kind of not necessarily let the rest go, but maybe just not prioritize them to the same level. And I guess it comes down to that. And I think, you know, again, you speak about it in your book, but if you get a couple of opportunities and they're all sitting there in front of you, how do you know which ones to pick? How do you know which ones are the ones that you want to say yes to? But when you know your values, when you under, when you really understand what drives you and what brings you joy and what brings you fulfillment, it becomes very easy to be able to decipher which ones are going to be yeses and nos, right? Yeah, it really does. And it also helps you, you know, back when my kids were really young and they were playing sport, a request might have been, mum, can you come and watch me play sport? Well, that's 100% yes. But a request to do with the sport. So, Kate, could you be the treasurer of the basketball committee? Well, yeah, it's to do with my kids, but it doesn't involve my kids. It's taking me, actually taking me away from time with my kids. So, that then becomes a much easier no. Mm, yes. And also taking you away from the other things like health and wellness and your business. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and once you start kind of operating in this way, you do become really, really protective of your time and really resentful, I guess, of, of where you're not following your own rules. When I break my own rules and I say yes to something I know isn't going to bring me that level of joy that those three other things do, I get, I get really annoyed with myself. Mm, I can resonate with that. One thing that you actually mentioned in your book as well was about how we often say yes to opportunities you know, that aren't a time suck right now, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. that in the future, <laughs> in the future are actually, you know, it, it, I think you categorized it. Uh, you're probably doing a much better job of saying this more eloquently, but you say yes to things. If, if someone asked you to do this thing right now, you might say no, because you don't have the time, but you'll say yes, because it's in the future. But then when it arrives, you still don't have the time necessarily to do it. How do you combat that? Yeah, look, I do. And I laugh with along with you because, God, how frustrating is it? Because we all do it, right? And yes, we do. So what I just urge you to remember is that there's basically two types of requests for your time. There's the request that I need your time right now. And there is a request that I would like your time at some point in the future. And it's the future-facing requests that we have to be really, really careful about because there's no pain in the present. So if we say yes to a future-facing request, 
it's really easy to say yes right now because there's no pain for me. There's no consequences. There's no demand on my time right now because it's actually going to occur in the future. So it becomes very easy for us to say yes. And then when that event arrives or that occurrence arrives, we think, oh, my God, why did I say yes? So every time a request comes your way that is a request for your time in the future, just be extra wary and extra cautious. And the way I like to deal with it, or there's certainly the way I recommend others deal with it until they get really comfortable kind of flexing that no muscle. Until you're at that point, it's a really good way of dealing with it is just to always thank the person for the opportunity and just something like, you know, thank you so much for inviting me or thank you so much for that opportunity. Let me check my calendar and I'll come back to you. Mm. Now, if nothing else, what that does is it buys you a little bit of time to think about whether or not you really want to do this. Is this something that is consistent with what I most value? Is there a win-win opportunity? Is there a reason why I would do this? And if there is, then you turn around, you circle back and you say an absolutely grateful yes. And when the time comes, you turn up ready to give of yourself. If it's a no, if it's going to be a no, then circle back and you say to the person again, you know, thanks so much for the opportunity. Unfortunately, I'm working to some deadlines at the moment, but if anything changes, I'll come back to you. And it's just a really elegant way of saying no. You're thanking the person. You're kind of leaving the door open if you change your mind. You've referred to the fact that you've got some deadlines and people tend to respect that more than a straight out no. And that I find is a really good way of letting people down. The other way to do it though is maybe it's a no for now, but it might be a yes in the future. So I can't really do it now, but I could do it in January. So could we, you know, are you flexible on your time frames? Or how do I facilitate helping the person get the outcome? So no, unfortunately I can't attend the event, but a member of my staff will probably be able to, and I think it would be a great opportunity for them to be involved in this project. So mm. I might be able to facilitate a great outcome with it without it being my time. Yeah, beautiful. I love that. I never, ever heard it put that way either about how you might be able to even just at least consider a win-win. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because you're not saying no because you're a nasty, horrible, selfish person, most of the time you're saying no because you have a whole heap of other commitments that you already have in your calendar or your schedule or you're trying to very determinedly focus on having, you know, a more integrated work life. So you're not saying no out of spite or to make it difficult for the person. So from time to time, you know, if you can facilitate a win-win, then that's always going to be really well received. Yeah. So, Kate, Coming to the end of our questioning here, but questioning sounds like you're under arrest. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to tell the truth. <laughs> you have, you know, your own business journey has been pretty special. You know, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are startup entrepreneurs. You've worked with some huge businesses and incredible leaders as well. Just having a look at your website, I could see like L'Oreal, Deloitte. You've also got your own opinion column in the CEO World magazine. You've been on TV shows with people like Koshi and all sorts of things. Tell me a little bit about your own startup journey. What were your first years in business like? So my first years, they were they were hard. You know, I worked, it was a different business or I guess it was a business that foreshadowed this one. 
I had a an online service that connected really busy people to home helpers. So it was kind of like what I needed when I was working in corporate. So connected people to babysitters and cleaners and whatnot. And it was hard work. It was hard slog. It just wasn't quite making the money. I had a partner at the time and she wanted to exit the business and it was really, really hard work. And I've had this discussion with a lot of successful business owners since, and, and there seems to be a general consensus that, you know, it's kind of almost good to fail in your first business because it's often that someone's second business, certainly my experience, my own experience, but also with others that I know in business that sort of the second business or the second iteration of your entrepreneurial journey is often the more successful one. The other thing I think is that I feel that too many kind of small business owners or, or entrepreneurs or want, you know, want to be entrepreneurs give up too soon. Oftentimes what I see is that there's people that just have these incredible ideas and for a product or service and they're hoping for or anticipating perhaps overnight success or success within a year or two. And it's not really like that. You know, it's mm. it's really, really hard work and you've got to hustle and it's a slog. And But ultimately, and certainly in the cohort of kind of business owners that I guess I befriended when I was starting out, when they were starting out, those who kind of backed themselves and were incredibly passionate and just knew that eventually if I really work hard on this, it's going to work. They're the ones who have all gone on and had really great success. Mm. So I think when you are passionate about your product or service, you know that it's solving a problem in the market and you prepared to really, really work your ass off. If you stay on, on the course, then, you know, nine and a half times out of 10, you're going to get there. And yeah. so just, you know, just don't give up. Yeah. And it's kind of like if you, I don't know if you've seen this image before, it's like that guy that's, you know, digging for gold and he's tunneling down through, you know, the, the earth. Yeah. I know the image you mean. Yeah. And he's yeah. kind of walking away, like just before he reaches the gold, you know, and you yeah. just don't know when you're going to strike it. And you're right. Like I had a business before this business <laughs> and it went well and it went okay, but it definitely wasn't going to take me where this business has. Yes. Um, and I eventually sold it, you know, and for, you know, nothing near what it was worth just because I wanted out because I wanted to do this yep. next, this next iteration of this thing. Yeah. And, you know, if People sometimes look at this business now, and I'm sure they look at your business now, and they go, oh, you know, it happens so quickly, but it, it didn't because you learned so many skills in, in the first iteration and in the, in the first thing that you did that, you know, made this second version of your business so much more successful, probably a lot faster. Yeah, absolutely. And look, it is exactly that, Katya, you've mentioned. And one of the other women I interview in the book, in a previous book, actually, that I, I've written, I interviewed this incredible English entrepreneur. And I remember her saying to me that, you know, she had investment from Silicon Valley, but she made it really clear that in terms of her approaches to Silicon Valley, that they wouldn't touch her until she'd failed in at least one business. That message really stayed with me that, you almost need to fail or not be as successful as possible in your first business because firstly, you learn a lot of lessons that you can then apply to subsequent businesses. But I think secondly, it just gives you a hunger. You know, you really want to make that subsequent business just bigger than, than anything it could possibly be. 
Yeah. And it really does show, I hate that I'm saying this, but you know, the boys from the men as well in, in terms of like, if somebody's going to fail a business and not have that passion, not have that drive, not have that hunger, that dedication to get back up and get on the horse and try again and try again and try again to get there, then maybe, you know, maybe it was never for them in the first place. Yeah. It's just that grit and that determination that you just have to keep picking yourself up. And if you don't have the hunger, if you don't have the resilience, if you're not prepared to learn from those those lessons and that's why I make it one of the quadrants you know it's really important to me that I have a record of where I've learned you know if I've made a mistake and I then do it differently next time because that's part of my toolkit there's no point in being an entrepreneur or being in a small business or having the business if you're not prepared to kind of fail and learn and re-pitch but it's that grit and that hustle it's never going to be handed to you on a plate but doesn't that just make it so much more worthwhile when it's working? Absolutely. You don't appreciate pleasure unless you've had pain. You know, like it's, <laughs> just of, it's just one of those things. Like the the harder it is, the more grateful you are for it. The the more you you know, when you're having winning days, the more the sweeter that that win feels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree, Steph. So I have one last question for you, and that is a lot of our entrepreneurs that are that are listening to this podcast. You know, they are they're doing it all. A lot of them are mums. Yeah, the uh, you know trying to drop the kids off to school and do cupcake day and, and trying to <laughs> you know, do the things at home and get to work and run their businesses. And and probably I can imagine so many of them have resonated when you said, I just felt like a failure everywhere. What would you say to those women? If you could give them one tip right now, what would you, what, what would you tell them to do? I mean, I would tell them to read your book. So let's just say that, <laughs> that was already the one that was recommended, but outside of that, what, what would your advice be? I would, my advice would be just to be really kind to yourself that you're, you're really in the throes and the thick of it right now, but it does get better and it gets easier. So firstly, my first piece of advice is be really, really kind to yourself. Speak to yourself the way you'd speak to your girlfriend when she comes to you and expresses the same doubts and the same uh, pain. Speak to yourself the way you would speak to her. Um, the second thing I would say, and this is absolutely critical, and I think Steph solves this for you, is please, please, please surround yourself with a community of amazing other women who are in the same place or in various iterations. They may be a little bit behind you or they may be a little bit in front of you, but have that cohort of cheerleaders around you who will lift you up when you need lifting they're going to celebrate with you when you're ready to celebrate. You can bounce ideas off each other and you know that you're never in this alone. And, you know, that makes the journey so much more fun. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm huge on community because I don't think I would have been able to, I wouldn't be here today without the women that have, you know, supported me and cheerleaded me. And it, you need it most, yes, when you're winning for sure. But you need it most when you're not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <And laughs> when you when you feel like it's all falling apart, you know those women that are there to kind of reflect back at you the magic that is already there and the things that you have already done. And I could not agree more about the community. Kate, thank you so much for your time today. For anybody wanting to find out more about you, get in touch. Where is the best place to find you? So you can go to my website www.timestylers.com. Please feel free to email me direct, kate at timestylers.com. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn's probably the best place to track me down under Kate Christie. And um, yeah, 
or just contact Steph and say, how do I get in touch with that time chick? <laughs> I will, uh, yeah, the, the time styler. I'll uh, put it in the show notes, guys. So if you want to get in touch with Kate, please do. And make sure, please, if you're listening to this podcast and you are a female in business, who most people are that are listening to this podcast, even if you're a male in business, I really recommend going. And probably more so if you're a male in business, actually, thinking about it, go and read Kate's book called Me First. It really is such a game-changing book. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks so much. Babe, thank you for tuning into today's episode. It means the absolute world to have you here with me. If you want more, head to the show notes below to check out our latest free resources, along with the exclusive link for podcast listeners to book in a free 15-minute strategy session to find out how you can boom your biz. Listener.